Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details. Attention, true crime fans, check out 22 Hours, an American Nightmare on Podcast One. It was a case nightmares are made of. A family held hostage for nearly 24 hours and murdered inside their own home. WTOP examines the complicated trail of evidence that police say led to finding their killer and why they say he committed such a brutal crime. Download new episodes of 22 Hours, an American Nightmare on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. June 13th edition of the PFF forecast. We've got Kevin Cole in the house. We're going to do some reading of some YouTube comments, which is always fun. Eric is going to talk about Chris Jones and the Chiefs uh, directly after that, so you can skip that part. Patriots-Bears game review, Minnesota Vikings season review, and some uh, tales from the YMCA of Cincinnati. Let's rock. Right, a trio, a menage a trois, if you will, of nerds are in the house. Uh, Eric, how does it feel to be this far away from me now? I mean, I, you a know, buffer. It is, there is a buffer. I can, I can sort of feel the, the you know the lack of you know made up Twitter, YouTube comments sort of evaporating now that we have Kevin between us now. Now you have to make them up. Well, the, the YouTube commenters will have a new a new target. I have a feel, I have a feeling. So, uh, I, I'll get their wrath this time instead of you guys. It's going to be real hard. They really <laughs> like to hate me. So we found out what. So, so speaking of YouTube comments, we found out what George's YouTube burner is. His name is John Cullen, uh, who says Eric with the new haircut is what Travis Kelsey might look like when he comes back to get his jersey retired in fifteen years. Is that a compliment, though? Yeah, I feel like I would take Kelsey 15 years out. Okay. I mean, 50 years, maybe. That's not so good. 15, you know. Yeah. I think that's a step up. So you've gone <laughs> Roethlisberger, Rogan, Kelsey. That is an ascension. Well, and let's not forget Roethlisberger's, like, what was I called? Like, his, like, homeless brother one time. Fat cousin. <laughs> Fat cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Which is rough because can you imagine how fat you have to be to be Roethlisberger's fat cousin? Well, evidently, I'm uh, living it every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think that's a step up for you. Okay. Well, well, great. I've been working out. You know what was crazy? I was looking at uh, the YouTube comments, and the first like five were nice. 
and it really took me back. You hate to see it. I so I think these people are uh, trolling us. They're trying to see if they can um, they can get us like feeling good about themselves. And I think Tim is going to come in uh, along with Bryce Bernard and Robert Curtis and just hammer us. That's my thought because they all had nice things to say. So like Tim was like, people forget that Jesus was one of the first to establish the run, and he laughed at that, which makes two people that laughed at that joke in total in the universe. So. Thank you for the nice shout outs. So we appreciate them. The dry humor of these two gets me every time. Please release a pod about life. What would a podcast about life be between the three of us? Because I know like, like obviously you and I have children, right? George mm-hmm. doesn't. But George and I share the Cincinnati, you know, the YMCA stories, whereas you live in New York. So it's a little bit different. But I feel like there wouldn't be enough overlap for really us to like understand, you know, to, to have a podcast that was like you know, fully about life. Mm-hmm. What if you, if you had to segment them out? So you would be politics guy. What would you, what would your like subject matter expert uh, life be? Just being a misanthrope perhaps. Okay. But that's kind of your, your, your <laughs> shtick though. So I, I, can, don't I have many shticks that <laughs> I can, uh, I can play. Um, I can just be the guy that doesn't have kids guy. That could just be me, and I could just make fun of. I could just talk about all the things that I do because I don't have kids, and not mention that it's because I don't have kids, and then you guys can enjoy that. I think that would be a. Uh, I'd be like suburban dad guy, whereas both of you guys live like downtown where you live. So it would. I don't know. I don't comparing think comparing downtown Cincinnati to Manhattan is fantastic. <laughs> just a little bit of difference in scale, I'd say. Oh, we both hop on the subway with hundreds of of screaming. Whereas people I like day. go to subway. To eat food. Do you? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, Don't let the facts in the way of a joke. Uh, all right. History Book Reviews also had a, a real scalding take about Germany. So we apologize to our uh, buddy who was missing, Moo. Moo, which turns out to be Mo. Mo. But Moo is so much more attractive, I think. History Book Reviews said the best part about Bavaria in Germany is that it is close to the Czech Republic where the beer is even better and the women aren't horrid. Just going to leave you that hate, one alone. You hate to hear that. Anyone been to the Czech Republic? Uh, Stopsky has. Thoughts? Oh. Anyone been to Germany? I have not. My PhD advisor was a German woman who was not horrid. Okay. So. I was going to say. I don't know where that's going. Um, before we get to... Uh, the Jalen Ramsey, Chris Jones thing that you want to talk about. The finals are tonight. Uh, and I, people love to hate when we're wrong. So to give them some fodder for this, your thoughts on game six. Uh, I, think the, I think the Raptors close it out. I'm going to be contrarian. I think they at least cover the two and a half, three points. Okay. What do you think, Kev? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the same. I mean, it's been it's been a pretty lopsided series, I would say, other than a couple of close Warriors victories, but it kind of depends on the refereeing in this game. I think. Yes. I agree. I think the refs. <laughs> I think they may just bring in Baron Davis and Stephen Jackson to ref the game in Oakland. Here's the thing. So game four, Stephen, like the running back or the or Mark Jackson, the coach or limited uh, the player doors over there. <laughs> limited player knowledge um, over here. So game four could have been the last game in Oracle. And if it had been, it was the saddest, most disgusting representation of a great basketball uh, city that is Oakland. So they come back strong from this. They light 
Oracle on fire. They've got E40 dancing on uh, Drake's grave at halftime as the entertainment. KD makes like a hologram appearance at midcourt or something crazy, and somehow they win. What about so? This brings up a good question. I think is KD one of them? Oh Jesus. You've already referred to Jesus a few times in this discussion. Am I that bad of a basketball mind? I don't. I don't think he's one of them. I think there are two Warriors fans contingent. One of them, which has embraced him. One of them, which hasn't. Yeah. I think it's probably at best fifty-fifty. But there's no doubt that the crowd is more excited. Everyone's more excited. Katie's. The, I mean, Katie's the you know the outsider coming in. So does he gal? Like that's the question. Does he galvanize the people? You know. Uh, not, like, is he seen as a mercenary that's just, like, helping them win titles? And so, like, yes, but people will forget all of those things because of what he just did, right? Okay. So he he came out, obviously, in a situation where he could have re-injured himself. He did, and that... I do think that that changes his legacy in, in Golden State. Oh, yes. We just be a basketball podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Look, win it for America, Golden State. Win it for America. All right, Chris Jones, Jalen Ramsey, Go. Well, you know, somebody said that well, Jalen Ramsey himself said that he's been told by the Jaguars that he's not getting a contract extension. So me a this fan, year, this year, this like year, it. me, a fan of the Chiefs, Chiefs don't have an outside corner on their team. Thinks thinks to myself, the Chiefs should go after him. And then I looked at the schedule and saw that the Chiefs are playing in Jacksonville week one and said the Chiefs should trade the first 14 points of that game to the Jags for Ramsey. What do you think? Well, I mean, that doesn't seem like a lot <laughs> to give up quite honestly. Well, that's a good that's a good. So we had so we had Ramsey you know, he's about a win at his best, about a third of the, of a win at his worst in terms of war. Like so but 14 points is not a full win and and in fact, you know, and then you'd also be thinking about multiple years, but then the contract extension. Like, what would what would you say the if you were trading in points week one? What would be a fair trade? I just threw out fourteen just because I was because like, you're a Chiefs fan. Yeah. That's why. Well, I don't know. I think more in the neighborhood of a win, which would be thirty points, right? Okay. So you. So uh, here's a good question. Like, what if you still lose this? Yeah, this I was just saying. So if you're if you're Jacksonville, you give up your best defensive player to the Chiefs. How much do you have to spot Kansas City, where you would be more than ninety percent sure you would win the game? More than 90%. thirty sounds like a good number to me. Here's the thing. I think it rests on whether they get to keep Ramsey for that game or not. Because if they keep him for that game, then the 30-point lead feels better to me. But if Ramsey then goes to the other side where now you have like no shot of scoring because they now have a competent cornerback and you have Nick Foles, and Pat Mahomes now doesn't have to play against Jalen Ramsey, 30 points does not seem nearly as daunting to me yeah, anymore. And, and the leverage in that game is not particularly high for Kansas City. There's still, like I think, more than a two-third shot to make the playoffs, even if they lose that game. So to me, I think it's like a pretty – I don't know. Like I would just give up that first game for Ramsey if I were the Chiefs. So 30 points. You yeah, would do 30 it. points. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it would be interesting. We've, obviously, we've never seen a team knowing they're trailing 30 points with a full 60 minutes to go also. So Kansas City would probably be – one of the one of the, they, they just, the most entertaining teams to see put in that situation. Exactly, all think, of a sudden starts establishing the run. So then the, the, <laughs> the second question on this would: Chris Jones currently holding out of OTAs and uh, mandatory minicamp. What would what would a fair trade be that involved Chris Jones and Jalen Ramsey? 
It's interesting. We would, I assume, I would certainly think that Jalen Ramsey is has far more value. But the current construct of the league, I think, might be the reverse, where the defensive lineman is viewed so much more um, favorably. Uh, so I, I think it's not too far off from being sort of a straight-up proposition. Whereas, which would be an absolute steal. Which would be Chiefs. an absolute steal, and we would think that we would have to give up you know, some compensation along with Chris Jones. But the NFL might feel the exact opposite, where it's like, well, now I have this malcontent Jalen Ramsey on my team giving up you know, stand-up citizen Chris Jones who's just going to you know, eat people alive in the trenches where the game is won in 2019. I mean, we're talking about a team that drafted Taven Bryant over Lamar Jackson. True. So They've invested a ton in their D-line, right? Like, but they got rid of uh, Fowler last season in a trade in the midseason. So like that you could make the – and then Yannick Ngakwe is sort of holding out, right? So this does seem like a – I mean – let us know if you want uh, any want any more opinion. This looks like a great trade. You're you're awful. <laughs> I mean, I think draft position is still going to play into this a little bit here, uh, being that they're both you know a few years out. Yeah. Eh, you know, we were talking about a guy who's top five pick versus a second rounder. Probably have to give up a little bit extra. I'd say. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Anyway, it sounds like though. a pretty compelling thing for these two teams to be doing. Does Jalen Ramsey feel like the defensive version of Odell Beckham a little bit here? What, where it's he's sort of viewed as a malcontent, but it's really nothing because he's really, not getting arrested? It's or really, well, your team sucks, so you can't talk about winning. So instead, we're going to talk about losing, and no one wants to do that, so let's blame the players who are, you know... The best on the team. The best on the team. Yeah, well... You hate to see it. <laughs> but yeah, if he was on the New York Giants instead of on the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, probably the profile would be up there quite a bit. Yes, and we'd, we'd have to get rid of him immediately. So, so Kansas City's probably not. Kansas City's the favorite-ish, right, Bet- betting markets. If they were to get, if they were to get, give up Jones for Ramsey, where would you, would you put them as the clear favorite to win the Super Bowl in the NFL or no? Or you'd still have to – because that, that is their one weakness is they can't cover a $5 check right now on the outside of course matthew and thornhill and, and fuller are good on the inside but they really can't cover on the i would outside. say yes i would say yes i think it's worth doing don't you think oh the tyreek hill thing though but it sounds like tyreek hill is, i mean throw everything out but it sounds like the tyreek hill thing is about as is mitigated to the point that uh, yeah that he'll yeah that he'll play at least 12 games this year so it, I mean, it's brutal, but like that's like the way it is. I'm I, gonna, I would say yes. Then, what do you think, Kev? I think so. Although um, it's always tough to tell how much one corner can make a difference. Um, Don't you? To me, it's like okay. The favorites are well, the Pats are up there, Saints are up there, Eagles, Chiefs, Eagles. I mean, so it's you know the favorite is the favorite by a hair. Yeah. You're anyway, splitting. so it's not like I'm saying oh the Chiefs are you know even money and everyone else is chasing their tail it's like oh i have to pick one of these five who am i going to pick well i'm going to pick the one with quarterback probably has the most upside yeah i don't know oh so the bears can't wait (laughs) let's get it pack uh patriots bears an amazing game from week seven of last season the crazy thing that i forgot about this game was that the bears at this point you know there, there were three and two it wasn't, and they end up losing this game. They go to three and three. Everyone 
th- their season ended up being so wonderful. Um, you know, obviously winning uh, t- twelve games. They had one more loss, and it was against the Giants on the road with. Uh, Mi- with uh, <laughs> I was going to say Mitch Daniels, but it was a uh, Chase Chase Daniel. Um, so you know, th- this game was interesting. I always like to try and think back about how did I feel about both teams at this time. I remember we were not really sold on the Patriots. They had had that sort of disaster game against Jacksonville, which I think is so funny because the Bears and, and Jags defenses almost, you know, the, the Jags passed the torch off and said, hey, you guys get all the, uh, the turnovers this season, have this, you know, crazy outlier defensive year. And the Patriots, uh, with a mishmash of players, put up, you know, 30-plus um, against the Bears. So I guess my question is, you watch this game, how much did this change your perception of the Patriots at the time? I I thought it was, you know, because honestly, they didn't score 38. It was like 24 yes. because of that. But at the same time, you when you watch the game back, the Bears did not offer any resistance to the Patriots' offense. None. I mean, it was... And so, like, you could be fooled if you're a Bears fan into thinking, oh, our defense is still great. It was just a bunch of fluky plays, but you watch the game back and play for play. The middle of the field was in a, was wide open for the Patriots With, the entire and time. And without? Without Gronk. Without Gronk. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought James White, this was James White's sort of probably best game of the year. Um, Edelman was just coming off of the suspension. He played against, I think, Indy the previous Thursday night, but ultimately had a really good game here. Um, I yeah, and and all and without a few like sort of fluky plays, I don't think the Bears are really in this game. No, I agree. I, I mean, the fluky plays for the Patriots they seem flukier because you had the kick return touchdown, you had the block punt for a touchdown, but the fact that they also fumbled the ball a couple times, it doesn't seem like a fluky play, but that's more of a. You know, we're being deceived by the base rates. You know, the, still fumbles only happen 1% of the time, something like that, on, on these plays. So those were big uh, issues for them. So while they got the additional scoring from there, they also gave up a couple of possessions with the fumbles. Yeah, and, that, and Brady threw an interception, which is sort of uncharacteristic for him. Uh, Patterson, you know, you don't even see that many kickoff returns in the NFL, let alone ones that are fumbled. And then the, it was in complete Bears fashion. You saw the fumble went straight into the arms of a of a player on the kicking team there. So it was it was strange. Um, as you sort of walk through this game, what was the 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 first thing you know the first thing that jumped out to my mind about the Bears offense was how often Trubisky was able to sort of overcome his inaccuracy by picking up first down first downs with his legs right I mean he had the two huge runs but it was more of a consistent thing for him yeah I mean he he put up amazing numbers I mean if you look at the expected points added that that he had in the game I mean he had more expected points added running the ball than Brady did passing the ball. Uh, he was he was extremely effective, and even the plays that you know don't stand out to you, but these first down pickups on third and five or third and six, uh, he did that at least a couple of times. He picked up third downs that weren't the long touchdown runs. I mean, those are massively important as far as keeping the drives uh, alive, keeping expected points going. So we had those, and I think we have a tendency to overlook those because yep. they're not necessarily as consistent going forward, and that's not what a quote-unquote franchise quarterback you're expecting, you're hoping for, um, like you were hoping from Brady throwing for those first downs. But for that particular game, and looking back, those are extremely important, and that's one of the reasons they were in it as much as they were. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, like two players, you know, one of them that we've been touting like sort of the whole time, which is Tariq Cohen, sort of a top 10 running back in terms of war. He was as good as White was in terms of turning, you know, he had 10 targets. He turned them in, you know, he turned them into eight catches, a touchdown, you know, really. He had that one at the end of the half that sort of inflated his numbers, but he was really sort of everything we, we came to, to expect from him. And then Trey Burton, right? So the middle of the field seemed to be wide open in this game for the Bears. Trey Burton was really the recipient of the majority of Mitch Trubisky's good, accurate passes over the middle. I believe he had like 126 yards on 11 targets with a touchdown. He made a really nice play on the outside of the field for his touchdown on on sort of a fade route that Trubisky uh, capitalized on. So there were some good things for him and for Trubisky in the passing game, but it was to the backs out of the backfield and then the tight end. Yeah, his accuracy was funny because it was the thing that we hear from the Bears often is, well, look. You, when the chips are down, when we need him to come through, he comes through. And my note on their, I think it was second to last drive, was this is why Trubisky is the GOAT. Because he, he comes out the series before and just like overthrows three straight passes. Yep. Then he has to deliver and he's just he's throwing darts you know, all over the field. Um, and those are the plays that we remember because it's like, well, this is like the you know, ultimate or penultimate drive of the, of the game. This is what I pay my quarterback for. And we forget that he tried to throw two picks in the end zone. We forget that he sailed passes left and right, that he had less than 50% of his passes were actually accurate throws, that almost a third of his passes were uncatchable throws, which over the course of the game is going to put you behind as it did here. But then you have this glimpse of hope. You get an end-of-the-half long pass play. You get an end-of-the-game long pass play. The aggregate numbers look a lot better than they probably should. And that's how you come away from this game, which ultimately was a loss, feeling as though it wasn't the quarterback's fault. Yeah, not a ton of pressure generated by the defense for New England. You know, Trey Flowers had six pressures, but no sacks, no hits. Um, you know, Trubisky, there were a few times... I that thought they were really effective, though. That, that one of the, the things... The pressures they got were really effective on Trubisky, for I sure. I thought they did a great job, even when it wasn't pressure, of confusing what he was looking at, like right in front of him. So they blitzed him 25 times, and 4.2 yards per play on blitzes, 8.8 without a blitz. So even when they weren't getting pressure, it seemed to me like there was a lot of... but. And and I and this is like you know Steve talks about this all the time. Was it more about like it's, it depends upon how many wins you get as a pass rusher, not necessarily how bad your losses are. But there were a ton of times where I wrote Trubisky had all day overthrew somebody. Sure. Trubisky had all day overthrew somebody. So there, it wasn't. I do agree that the times that they got to him, it was you know often sometimes late, and then it would force an Aaron throw from Trubisky. Sometimes it was right away. But there were times where Trubisky had all day, and it didn't seem to matter. He was still inaccurate. So. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point. They, they they were effective on their on their pressures that they did get. A um, couple of, of interesting things in this game. The Bears, it, it, it seemed like the fluky plays kind of evened out, but it was just the timing of them, which speaks to the volatility of some of these things. You know, at the NFL level, particularly turnover luck. Right, not only can you get lucky with turnovers and converting them, but you can get lucky with when they happen. Or when your kick return happens, right? So if you reverse those two fluky plays for each team, you know, and you put 
well, the Patriots get the good side of it in the first half and the Bears get the good side of it in the second half. Like to me, that's such a huge part of it as well. It's just when these things happen, because it's not, it's like we talk about with war, right? So a guy can be worth one win on average, but in the right season, those tenths of a win can show up at the right time. And you feel like we won eight games because Khalil Mack had all these strip sacks at opportune times. Yeah. And right. It's, it's that way in games. It's that way in seasons, right? Like, so Khalil Mack's one war for the Raiders is not worth as much in terms of, you know, you go from four wins to five wins, you know, the touchdown that, you know, the touchdown drive that Trubisky had, you know, usually at the at that end of the game, usually isn't worth as much as the one in the middle of the game because you're coming back from 14 down. You're just really getting yourself back into the conversation as opposed to taking the lead. Uh, that's a, that's a really good point. And you know what what I what I liked about the Patriots in this game is that they sort of responded to every punch the Bears threw. Right. So you had the Jordan Howard touchdown after you know they sort of gave the Bears chance after chance, and then Cordero Patterson runs back the ensuing kickoff, and then they get they go three and out basically on Trubisky, and then they get the the ball back and then James White had his dominating drive uh, where you know he ends up you know tearing apart Leonard Floyd on a touchdown route uh, and then they take the lead right and then they basically controlled the game from there on out yeah I thought there were a couple of interesting strategic decisions uh, that went on there Uh, one in particular where the Bears in the first half they had the ball third and eight from their own 34 yard line mm-hmm. and they ran the ball out of that set they got four yards and then they went for it almost immediately and in my opinion this was something i've heard this this term uh on a podcast it was rob likens who was uh, the oc for arizona state he used this thing called attack third down and that's a third down where you know you're in a position of the field you know it's at a distance where you're going to go for it on fourth down mm-hmm. barring catastrophe on third down so for me this that really felt like they knew they were going to go for it, or else why would you run the ball on third and eight? And I liked it a lot. I thought that was a, a, a strong strategic decision to go ahead and do that. Because um, who knows? You could even pick it up. It was a Cohen run. So you might be able to pick it up just by catching him off balance. But at the same time, there's no, there's no delay. There's no waste in time. You're just getting to the line. You're going again. You're going for one and fourth down, and you're ready to go. And I thought that was very, very crucial. And then they eventually end up you know, marching down the field and uh, interception. The end zones drop, but they ended up converting it for a touchdown. Well, and, we, and we've heard that when we talk to coaches, we talk to you know, analytics people. Like That is how they think, right? when they when they when the ball is had on first down they're telling the OC or you know the OC's telling you know somebody in the, in you know in the coaching staff hey this is four down territory and so then they call their plays you know according to that that was interesting because it was on their own end but you we talked about this with the Super Bowl with the Pats and the and the uh, uh, Eagles which like you know, you get a stop on third down in that run, the defense sort of exhales a little bit and possibly, you know, psychologically isn't necessarily ready for that fourth down that, that comes subsequently. So, yeah, very cool. That was, a, I, that was a good look. I thought this was – it's a great example of – I thought throughout this game, Nagy's addition to this team mm-hmm. really shined through. His play calling was – I don't want to say that it covered up a lot of Trubisky's mistakes, but it felt like every time there was a bad overthrow, the next play was an easy gadget play. Like I, I, I can't remember if it was the first half or the second half, but there was they were in the red zone and it was like god awful throw by Trubisky. Next play, screen to Cohen scores. Right? It's like I'm going to make sure that I'm going to, I'm going to. You feel confident, at least that if you make a mistake, it's okay. Yeah. And, and this was a good example of where his decision-making came to play. We talk a lot about running on second and long being a terrible decision. 
Here, it's it's interesting that it's third and long, and because the defense is always thinking pass here, you get an opportunity to leverage a run play where you avoid catastrophe, you know you're going for it, and you set up the fourth down play, which so much of going for on fourth down is just knowing you're going to do it mm-hmm. and ha- and being prepared for it because if it catches you off guard, that's probably a bad thing for your chances yeah. of success. And um, obviously, it, it helped. Well, uh, and it was interesting because we always used to remark about, you know, when Nagy was the offensive coordinator with Kansas City, how Alex Smith was not a good quarterback, like not a brilliant quarterback, but he never looked bad. You know, he never looked like he was out of water. Um, and and uh, I, what do you mean? All right. Well, like he never he never flailed around the way that like a Bortles would or in many. But and do you think right. that that was because of these play calls that like never put him in? Oh, you're talking about in Kansas City. In Kansas City, oh. he never looked like he never. I was going to say there's some games before he went to oh, Kansas City. No, no, no. I'm talking where about it wasn't so pretty. I'm talking about the situations that you're describing where. When you start to see the wheels fall off, the offensive coordinator does a good job of putting that player in position for the offense to look functional, even though the quarterback may not be the best player in the world. And I think that might be what is, you know, because we're privy to the play-by-play grades and we're never, you know, Trubisky never looks like a terrible quarterback here, even though his, his fundamentals aren't great. And I think that that you know is a credit to Nagy, and and you know goes back to the Kansas City days where you know Smith was never brilliant, but he never looked like he was hurting his team on a on a play for play basis. Andy Reid did it with Michael Vick. Now Nagy doing it with Mitchell Trubisky, basically the same thing. I mean, I think Alex Smith is probably a little bit more risk averse generally. Yeah. I don't. I mean, you could say that about Trubisky, but every game, including this game, he throws some balls that you're just shocked that it didn't get intercepted. I mean, this is the question about Chicago going forward, right? Is this a play-calling situation where you can see a continuation of what we expect not to continue, which is the ability to convert high-leverage plays despite the fact that generally the success, generally the grading is much lower than the results. Can that continue on for another season? We like to put things that we can't explain on coaching quite a bit, and we could be doing that to a degree here, but there are some real tangible things that you can say, okay, maybe coaching really is having an impact. It's probably somewhere between coaching is doing it and the fact that, that it's all variance. Yeah, I, yeah, and that's a good point. And and so the question, and then so next season, if the Bears are, let's say they're five hundred, do we 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 should probably shouldn't go and say, oh, the the brilliance of Matt Nagy was really a fraud. We should probably throttle back a little bit and say, well, all of two thousand and eighteen wasn't necessarily how great he was. It's somewhere in between. I I do agree with you, and I and yeah, the 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 Alex Smith comparison is weird because Alex Smith was sort of like this sneaky good runner at times. Same with Trubisky, but you're right. Alex Smith was more of a check down Charlie than a, than, than Trubisky certainly has been. Trubisky, uh, less than 50% of his throws were accurate. Brady had one game all season where less than 60% of his throws yeah. were accurate. It was a funny game to watch the comparison between the two because obviously Trubisky's big wins were with his legs. I really tried to ignore those and look at the passes. And um, I, I was kind of thinking to myself you know that the bears could easily won this game i wonder how many other times trubisky was sort of like this bad and they end up winning so he had three games this year where less than 50 percent of his throws were what we call accurate so on the receiver's frame perfectly in stride two of those were wins the rams game where he was disastrously bad as was goth and then the following the week after this against the jets um yeah and that jets game was just a slog where jets, the jets just didn't want to play well yeah it was rough, but he, he managed to go, you know, 
two for three on games where less than half of his passes were accurate. A guy like Tom Brady had one game, never had a game all season where that was the case, had only one where less than 60% of them were. Trubisky, only five total games where he was above 60% accuracy. If you had to say next season, so next season let's say that Bears fans again think Trubisky was successful. What is the reason that happens? I think that they employ some sort of deep you know they they kind of Jameis light where they like you know when you throw the ball deep on a regular basis you don't have to be as pinpoint right because those it's kind of Cam Newton-ish it's kind of Jameis Carson Palmer I think if they sort of lean into that and then they supplement it with throws like they had you know in this game where you know Burton was over the middle catching wide open passes like I think that that can that's where they can be successful if you rely on him to be like Brady or to be perfect underneath that's just really not in the cards for him I don't think what do you think I don't. I just don't know if it could happen. Quite honestly, I mean, well, we'll have to see. It's it's weird. I mean, he can, he can look accurate. He can make some decent throws sometimes, but uh, so it's just it's just Kev. not happening that much. I mean, maybe if they really relied even more heavily on a, on a screen game sort of system, yeah. but it sounds like with what they did in the draft, obviously that who knows if Cohen will even be as involved as he was last year, which yeah. in my opinion is a is a big mistake. I wish they would have you know just drafted another tree cohen type of player and just rotate yeah. those guys but they're trying to get you know a, a more of a uh a workhorse back so we'll, we'll see what ends up happening i'm so proud of kevin he's only been here for like a month and he's already like that's how you know that this isn't like indoctrination here like the trubisky the trubisky facts are facts i think yeah i i'm curious as to whether he continues to run the way he's run uh, he, i mean he is mobile and he can't throw on the run to save his life, so that's a little bit of an issue. He tucks the ball in his left hand right it, away. And granted, he's controlled when he runs. He's not like an idiot like Bortles or something he, like that. Like. <laughs> I, I was legitimately impressed with his you know, his feel. was It wasn't like he was just immediately running. Like yeah. He had a good sense of like when to take off. And maybe that's self-awareness on his part, yeah. knowing like... I have a better chance of scrambling for this first down than throwing to my third read and hitting it type deal. And I'm very curious to see if that continues this year because you hear continually, well, look, he got injured. We got to protect him. He's got, you know, yeah. you got to know when to risk it, when not to. Sometimes I, I worry you take the one thing that he does really well out of his hands and now it's like, Oh boy! Yeah, I mean, because that's we've seen that with Dak, we've seen that with other quarter RG three. We saw that where like you take, you try to throttle back on the thing because you're worried about being hurt, him being hurt, and he might as well just be hurt because you're taking away a lot of his value. Trubisky, that I will say this, so we're going to say something positive about him when he runs the football. I, it, it is very good. He, I mean, he he's controlled. He like sets up his blockers really well. We saw that on his long touchdown. Or sorry, his long run that wasn't a touchdown. You know, he is very good there. He does not run. You know, he's not aimless when he does it. He is very natural at doing it. And, and so you wonder like how sustainable that is because you know I was very I came away very impressed with the way that he acts when he has the football as a runner. Speaking of workhorse back, would you rather if you had one quarterback and you had to have them run like say fifteen times a game, Josh Allen, Mitch Trubisky, which one? Oh, Mitch. Look at this Mitch praise. Yeah, I mean Allen physically maybe could take the pounding a little bit better but 
he's shown a little bit less awareness. Yeah. And I don't think it was a surprise that he got injured. I mean, he literally tried to hurdle a linebacker. Like, true. he did hurdle a linebacker. Yeah, a 6'5 linebacker. So that's, <laughs> that's something that's going to look good once. And then the other five times you try it, you're going to be out for three weeks. So I'm, I'm not... Uh, Trubisky. We give Giselle. Trubisky a lot of crap, but he's a better thrower than Josh Allen. So. True. And we haven't really found a lot to correlate quarterback size to how often they get injured when they're scrambling. I mean, if you're Lamar Jackson and you're actually running plays, then yeah, there's probably there's probably a correlation there. But if you're scrambling, uh, it's more about knowing how to avoid how to avoid contact and how to avoid the hits. Yep. Which I think if I think for for the Bears fans to rightfully say, you know, Trubisky had a good season this year. That's got he's got to double down on that. Bar none, I think. Um, thoughts on a game for next week? I found this game to be the most boring of the games that we have watched so far. I was less impressed than I thought I would be. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we've already done a Patriots game, Bears game, Vikings game, Rams game, Colts, Texans, Falcons, Saints. And I know which game I want to do. I'm curious. Your thoughts. Kev, what was the game we think we spent too much time together? You think back to last season, and you're like, that was a game that I remember. It was interesting to me. Can't quite remember exactly all the things I learned from it. It's tough to say. I mean, I'm trying to think of... I mean, I, I ended up watching a decent amount of the Browns games once Mayfield took over. But I'm trying to think of what was a good game that he had. Because some of, some of the best games that he had weren't really that exciting. I mean, the, the, the Texans game was interesting, but it was all from behind. So it wasn't like he was dropping dimes, but it didn't really matter that much. Um, I mean, the Baltimore game was interesting, of course. But that's something that really sticks in everyone's mind. Because so that was right at the end of the, right at the, end of the season. Yeah, so was, right was uh, Baltimore-Kansas uh, City. Yes, Baltimore, Kansas Which City was, a good was, game. was uh, we was haven't a good done game. either of those two teams. I, so yes, I also so I have a few other thoughts. I miss Boog <laughs> personally. <laughs> so Rams Chiefs comes to mind, yeah. uh, but also uh, Chiefs Patriots, and I thought of this doing a a sort of a, a double dip. A so menage a trois and a double dip at the same time. See, can't we can't do that? We already cut analytical edging as a as a segment we can't we need to bring that back <laughs> that's what we should have done with kev here can't you it, you know sorry i apologize um you watch chiefs patriots regular season and then chiefs patriots well kev did bring up the browns what if we what if we went browns chiefs at one point too that was a pretty like compelling game I'm not sure it was honestly. Okay, well, I'm I, mean, trying like the, to, I'm I think to, the Browns got got pretty got dealt with pretty pretty handily. But for in that the game. Browns fans in the stands, they get to see Kareem Hunt for yeah. the last time. I, I just remember a lot of Mahomes Kelsey touchdowns, and uh, that was kind of dirty. that that was the first. I think that first was Freddy the first Kitch- Freddie Kitchens true. games where they were still awful. So there wasn't necessarily a, a switch over immediately, which everyone was attributing that. So. I, I do I do like George's idea of watching both and seeing sort of the differences in the approach. We, since we one of them was a pick that we had, we can sort of go over our analysis of it. You know, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, you're Patriots, gonna you're gonna stick Chiefs. the knife in my Chiefs fandom. To two losses. Get over it. But you know, we talk. We haven't spent enough time on Jimmy G this off season. Well, we could do Vikes Niners from week. Don't 
Don't. George Kittle dropping an 80-yard touchdown. All right. Not covering the spread. But, you know. That's how I knew the season was off to a bad start. <laughs> I'm watching that game. I'm like, this just isn't going to work out for me. It's not going to be good. And have uh, Niners Chiefs where they were down, I think, 35-0 oh, oh, in the to... first half or something Or like that. We, the, one, the one Niners game we got right, which was Niners Lions. Lions plus six down 17 with like four minutes left and backdooring it with two touchdowns. Maddie Stafford. Yeah. yeah. That'll be fun. All right. Uh, we are onward to the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I'm going to let you do a lot of the talking because I have heard so many Vikings takes from you. I just feel like the people need to hear them. What, was, I, the, what was the most memorable part of the Vikings season for you? For me? Yeah. I think I know this answer. Um, oh, this is a good question. There are a couple of memorable ones, but I think you know that I have a particular affinity for social awkwardness and like not getting it. And so Kirk Cousins' huddle pump-up speeches. Oh, I thought you were going to go something else. Okay, are so awesome to me because it sums up everything I about Kirk Cousins into one beautiful uh, picture. So we, what we, were you going to say? I was going to say since we both owned Vikings under ten and Seahawks over seven and a half, you and I went out for steak. That's that was it was that what okay. I mentioned, and then them getting. Drilled by the Bills. The Monday night game when we're at the bar and no one understands why I'm wearing like I, I think I was wearing like a Vikings beanie or something. Might have been a Chiefs beanie yeah. actually. <laughs> and I'm rooting for the Seahawks because that would have hit both the under and the over. And but the whole time I was just making fun of uh, Minnesota and, and their ineptitude and the people at the bar not being awkward, not really getting it. Yeah. But um, okay. yeah, I mean this was an interesting Can, one. I want to start with this. And then I'll let you go uh, on your on your merry way with the Vikings. Kirk Cousins' season was it what you would expect, better than you would have expected, or worse than you would have expected? On average, it was exactly what I expected. But the the season had sort of two sides of it that were were different, mm-hmm. right? So first half of the season, I thought Kirk Cousins played extremely well. Um, and you know he was accurate. He he was efficient. That offense was humming at times. There was that blip against Buffalo, but basically they were pretty efficient until until I think the New Orleans game when everything sort of turned over and he became super conservative. And you saw that when they lost to you know they lost to New England on the road. They lost to Seattle where he just wouldn't pull the trigger. They didn't get a lot of protection. They sort of blamed a lot of things on the run game, which was kind of BS. Uh, the offensive coordinator did not do a good job. And so on average, I thought he did fine relative to my expectations, but it was sort of weird in the way it ended up. I mean, I think they had the worst efficiency running game in the first half of the season. So when you say, say blame things on the run game, yeah, they should have been yeah. blaming the run game for being so bad. But instead, <laughs> you know, as, as you, you know, Book would say, or not Book, I'm tr- someone said the, all the attempts, maybe it was Bucky Brooks, all the, only the attempts matter. No, nope, yeah. that's uh, chapter one, verse one. <laughs> Book of Boog. Oh, it is Boog. Okay, so I was right the first time. I think yeah. they both said it, actually, but Boog actually said it on air. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so efficiency, Bucky. yards per carry, doesn't matter. All that matters is is how many times you're rushing the ball. So I think that was that, – I mean, that hamstrung them. And once they decided, in particular in that Seattle game, because I'm not sure if that was the week after – 
after um, that was right before John D. Flobo got fired. It was before. So, but but the, but the, the message was out. Word yeah, yeah. word was on the streets that you better run the ball. And there were so many times in that game where they were running the ball on first and second and long. And you know yes. we saw the results, and it was not pretty. Yeah. So just speaking of that, a season ago, the Vikings offensively were 25th in expected points per play. 23rd in expected points on the in the passing game, 29th rushing the football. The last one is of course bad, but I will bring up the season prior in 2017 when they were 13 and three and made the NFC title game. They were seventh in EPA per play, second passing, 23rd rushing. So they weren't not they were not a good rushing team the season before. What they were was, and they weren't that good of offensive line. You know, I believe Case Keenum had the same pressure rate as Kirk Cousins, maybe even a little higher. But where Case Keenum excelled was that he turned pressures into sacks at a rate only eclipsed by Philip Rivers, right? Philip Rivers was the only one at avoiding sacks better than Case Keenum. So that was where they struggled and, and very Kirkusian in terms of his ability not to, uh, you know, to take sacks when pressured. But um, sort of an interesting, they were not efficient defensively. I think a lot of people after that Rams game said the defense wasn't very good this season. They took a step back. But really, in terms of expected points, they were second a lot, you know, to the Bears, second in allowing passing, and eighth in allowing rushing. So their defense was still pretty good, I think, speaking to Mike Zimmer, who's been a top-five defensive coach as long as we've you know, sort of measured such a thing. So, you know... Can their offense improve is really the big question going into 2019. I mean, one of the, I think one of the more interesting things with Cousins is what if Case Keenum did not land a starting quarterback job somewhere else where he didn't look horrible, but he didn't look great, right? So, like, I mean, obviously, if he stayed as a backup in Minnesota, that would have been very interesting midway, midway through the season. But even if he wasn't a backup there, if he just didn't have a chance to show that he's not that good coming off of the season that they did have, I think people's perception of Kirk Cousins might be even worse than it was because they wouldn't, they would, they would have nothing to downgrade Keenum on based upon what was, like you mentioned, on these high leverage plays, he was extremely efficient, which obviously isn't stable, but people are going to look back and they say, hey, it's a thir- you know, this is a 13 and 3 team with this guy at quarterback Cousins really isn't that good where they couldn't quite say that when he went to Denver and ultimately you know he's been he's been shipped out of town so he failed yeah so he's not good at yeah right so so folks are going to say well what was the Vikings best option Teddy Bridgewater was only able to get a back two backup jobs essentially uh Case Keenum struggled now he's the backup in Washington theoretically so Cousins was the best option this is the best we have to work with and I think what folks you know fail to realize is for these quarterbacks that are sort of middle of the pack it's not the, the the ordering is not it's not well ordered right like cousins can be better than keenum at a lot of things but worse than him on in a thing that for the vikings offense could tank the whole offense right he you could be better than him in arm strength accuracy decision making etc but if you handle pressure worse than him and your offensive line is one of the worst in the leagues keenum could be a better fit for that offense and so that's that's an interesting you know thing because we always look at this is this player better yes then we should have him right into and pay that 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 money for him well also keenum could have had an absolute catastrophe of a season this past year yeah, with the vikings I mean, that's because right, Shermer went to the Giants and they totally really totally possible. Got the guy was make. I mean, it's perfectly summed up by the, the miracle that happened in the playoffs. That was the type of season that Case Keenum had. He was yep. pulling lightning rods out of his butt. 
when he almost he gave the, the he gave the Saints back that game by throwing that off the back foot interception, and then ultimately against the Eagles, he threw the pick six of Patrick Robinson. You're absolutely correct. Um, interestingly, with Minnesota, you look at this off season; they didn't have a ton of cap space because of the Kirk Cousins deal. Certainly uh, foreshadowed. They got Anthony Barr back, which is strange, right? He wanted back in Minnesota, took a little bit of a pay cut, but ultimately probably cost the Vikings more than they were willing to pay at linebacker. They got Shamar Stefan. They lost Sheldon Richardson. And then in the draft, they went completely offense, but maybe in the wrong spots. Garrett Bradbury at center, Irv Smith at tight end, and Alexander Madison, the delight of Saturday evening Mountain West DGens as the running back for Boise State. How stoked were you about that draft? It's a lot of seventh round picks to choose from. So if you're a draft Nick, you probably liked like yes. their draft is like, oh, this guy should have been second round picks. Of course, you know, not great track record for seventh round picks in the NFL, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, they certainly did that with you look at you know, the, I think the sharper teams are trading those later round picks for players or future picks which are higher in the draft. The Vikings opted for later round picks in that immediate draft, which we as you said, are are you know, are basically dart throws basically, at that point. UDFAs, right? Yeah. It's like there's no difference there. Yeah, so, priority UDFAs. Yeah. So the, I think the Vikings missed a huge opportunity in the draft. Garrett Bradbury, you know, we didn't have him necessarily as that high, but also for, for position scarcity, they were at a point where it fell perfectly with them. You had a bunch of tackles available. They struggle at tackle with Riley Reef kind of being average. Um, you know, Brian O'Neill sort of off a, an encouraging rookie year, but certainly not brilliant. And they were in a position possibly to trade back. And instead, they just said, well, we're going to go with the guy we like immediately here and get Bradbury at 18. I, don't, I didn't, didn't think that was a great value. Irv Smith is intriguing, but then they just signed Kyle Rudolph to an extension that has him basically guaranteed money for the next two years. So I wonder how much of an impact you know, he will have, even relative to the low expectations of a rookie tight end. Can't have enough tight ends. Well, you know, with some of these, the Vikings are getting into a little bit of a cap I mean, it's not cap hell because these players are still playing well. The problem is when these guys aren't playing well. And I think there's a little bit of a misconception with the cap. There's always, you know, the, the cap doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. And the reason that people say that is because, like you're seeing with, with Kyle Rudolph, you know what you can do is you can extend people and actually lower their cap hits. Right. But the problem is you're pushing this further and further into the future. Yeah. And what ends up happening to the team, it's not that you can't fit them in, but you end up getting like a barbell roster where you have a bunch of really high-paid players. And then, you know, you can find the other players, but you're not going to find players in the, let's say, one to five million a year sort of range where you can actually get surplus value and where they may be undervalued. You're going to be going on all these really, yes. really cheap players, and those everyone's looking for cheap players. So you're not necessarily going to find the value there. And that's the problem as these contracts aged. I feel like the Vikings haven't done a good job. Well, one of the hardest parts of the NFL is after you've hit on your draft picks, what do you do? And what they've decided to do is to sign everyone to a big deal, a, a backloaded contract, and just hope that you can continue to push it down the road. Oh, the well, Patriots have done that with great success. Well, especially defensively, <laughs> where we know that defense is pretty random. So, like, Xavier Rhodes in 2016 and 2017 was pretty right. good. 18, but one of their least valuable players, according to our war metric, right? Like, Harrison Smith has been a terrific player, right? But he does so many things and he you know he's getting a little bit older right so when harrison smith falls off do you do you ex- like he's worth a lot of money right and you have to pay him and you know and that's the and that's the issue and i think people who say the cap doesn't matter 
are often only looking at the blinders that their their particular team lives within, right? So if you're the Vikings, all you really care about is are we going to get Anthony Barr back or are we going to, you know, Sheldon Richardson or Shamar Stephan or, you know, Kyle Rudolph, when in reality, like, they've closed off so much of the possibilities for themselves in the offseason that we only say the cap doesn't matter because they can make the small amount of moves that we think are possible for them, well, right? They're not even able to do some of the things that these other teams are doing, which you would describe and, you know, pretty and well. You have to you have to factor injuries into there. I mean, how thin are you going to be with a team like this, too, if a couple of those guys down? I mean, I think they had to, they had to do the this. the Warriors. Ex- <laughs> well, the, the Warriors are actually illustrative of the fact of a, the Warriors a few years ago versus, kidding. versus yeah. the Warriors today. I mean, look at their bench today, right? And because they've had to resign these guys to, to big deals. Sean Livingston is an injection of youth hormone away from being back to his normal self. Terrence Newman. Terrence Newman eventually retired, though. The the other weird thing is teams, fans, and people that that say, oh, look, the the cap doesn't matter. They only think this year. Mm -hmm. It's... That's... That's, I think, the biggest... So, when I... When I look at a contract or I hear that this team has signed a contract, the first thing I think about is what does this contract look in three, three years? Right? And... No one ever thinks that. The first thing they look at is like, well, what's happening this year? I've got this. Yeah, I've got D Ford. Thank God. Right. Or like I've got this new player and I've got him this year and that makes this year better. That's all they care about. And that's what I think the Patriots have done really well is they have thought about every signing they make from a what does this look like each year of the contract? And the Vikings are in rough spot because if you look in the next you say, let's take these next five years and look at them. It's very sort of, well, we don't actually have a quarterback that we're paying money for a quarterback that we're supposed to have, right? Like yeah. that's going to get us there to the promised land and make up for those other players that we're not going to sign. Uh, to me, it's not, it's not as rosy a picture as they would hope. Okay, so let's talk about the, the market on the Vikings right now. So, you know, their over-under currently is at nine wins, so win below last season. We got a lot of flack for saying that the under-10 last year coming off a of 13-3 was a good play. Idiots. Here can only improve. Here the over is a little bit juiced at minus 120. It's, it's even money to bet the under. We would, you know, we would say you know, you're probably talking about over nine wins about a third of the time, under nine wins about half the time, and then the rest of the time you're talking about exactly nine wins. So not a ton of value. I think this is priced well. Um, Super Bowl odds twenty five to one, basically where we would have them as well. Um, so you know, if you're, you have to go, uh, you have to pick one over or under. What are you going with? Under because that div- <laughs> shock of the, uh, of the well, century. But there. the thing is, so that division, no we, way. The, in that division, we have the Vikings, Bears, and Packers all within about four tenths of a win right and i and i i think i like that right because again the bears have the question mark with Do you the, like that the, the bears have the question mark with the quarterback I like that the the Packers have the question mark with head coach and how aaron Rodgers is going to respond the vikings they have the 12th toughest schedule 10th 10th hardest in opposing offense 10th hardest in opposing defense they don't have an easy road here um detroit right detroit seem you know they they infused a little bit of talent Matthew Stafford is just one season away from basically having three winning seasons in four, right? That's that team stunk last season, but you know, seven or eight wins isn't out of the possibility for them. So, you know, I just think it's so jumbled that your best bet is to say one of these teams is going to suck and there's a pretty decent chance it's the Vikings. Okay. So, under. <laughs> you, sir. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm going to have to go under also. I mean, it's, it's a weird situation, and I think it's good. It matches up with my, my intuition, the fact that we feel like oh, it's pretty right. well-priced here because uh, you know, people are pretty low on Cousins, despite the fact that they have this solid core. I just get worried about these teams that I feel like a uh, couple of injuries, I don't know what's going to end up happening. Especially, I mean, the offensive side of the ball, too. I mean, now you have uh, Thielen and Diggs, both of them are pretty big contracts. Um, the, the question is really going to be what happens a couple of years down the road, but even for this year, I just feel like they're going to be pretty thin. And I don't know if Cousins is the type of player that can transcend what could end up happening to them. Yeah, and we've we've hardly you know so both those guys have gotten hurt. Yeah, Thielen in particular has, has yeah. been has had a long track record and going all the way back to college. That's one of the reasons that he fell to the fifth round is he had uh, so many injury problems in Maryland. Yeah. Thielen's la- or Thielen has has been more of the guy that gets hurt and plays through it yes. is less effective. Diggs is the one that misses football games. Last season was the first year Diggs was over a thousand yards, but again, he was a ten yard a catch guy. Very, you know, uh, emblematic of of the way in which Kirk Cousins changed that offense in terms of a uh, uh, in more conservative play. So then you look you look to them. Okay, do they have a third option at that receiver spot? They do not. I'm sorry. Take that back, Chad Beebe. Don son, uh, Jordan Taylor. Look, they have a third option. It may not be a great option. They have a third option. The Quantasaurus Rex. Uh, yeah, so that that's where the tough part is. Irv Smith is a rookie tight end. And a young all, rookie tight end. And and as, that's why I didn't get the Kyle yeah. Rudolph talk. Uh, I, I guess we found out that it was an actual negotiating ploy and not and not a reality because I didn't understand how this team that you've gone all you've going all in right yeah. that you're going to say oh you know what we're going to let Rudolph and we're going to plug in a 20 year old tight end a position that's that's typically slow to develop yeah so so there I mean Dalvin Cook's a player offers a lot of value out of, out of the backfield as a receiver but really that offense is very top-heavy. So if anything goes wrong there, then you're talking about Kirk Cousins' later years with Washington where you know once that support, supporting cast shrinks a little bit, he kind of shrinks with it. So Yes. Um, you, yep. you made a couple of the points that I was going to make. I, I'm going to go under as well. I actually think that Cousins played as well as I would ex- have could have expected him to play. I, I thought he played pretty darn well. He was top 10 in uh, almost every accuracy metric that, that we have. Um you know, basically middle of the pack from a clean pocket and under pressure, which is what you'd expect from a guy that's literally defined by middle of the pack. Like that's who he is. Um, and I, it's tough because you're like, well, the Bears probably won't be as good. And the Lions aren't great. You know, the Packers definitely have some weaknesses. But uh, the, the idea that they're going to win 10 wins, uh, like they're win 10 games, is just, no, I'd, I'll take the under on that. Um, every single time and here's the kicker it just you were mentioning this the other day right Kirk Cousins comes on they're like so you know a lot of people are saying that you didn't have as good a year as you should have last year what do you say to that and his response being (laughs) well you know it it doesn't matter if my stats get worse and we win games you know they'll say I was a better player and all this stuff and you just hear that and you go this guy's so far in his own head it just doesn't matter one thing goes wrong it's a disaster I like the self-awareness from him but the problem is is I don't think he'll handle the the newfound facts well if you're that self if you're actually self-aware you don't say that in the public eye the question that the question that Brady's never getting that obviously phased to close on cousins i think here's the here's the thing to me that 
you know, Mike Zimmer has never liked his quarterback other than the brief time he had Bridgewater. But he never, he always, he talked crap about Keenum to the press a lot. He talked a lot of flack, you know, about Cousins. And what we saw with Kirk was that he fundamentally altered the type of quarterback that he was. He was 31st last season in percentage of throws were positively graded. He was third in limiting negatively graded throws. So he became this risk-averse quarterback to try to please mm-hmm. Mike Zimmer, who's a defensive first guy, does not want to see sort of anything associated with risk from his quarterback. And that's simply not how you win games by being that polarizing in terms of, you know, limiting positively graded throws and limiting negatively graded throws. It's just not the way to do it, especially when, as Kevin said, you invested so much money in those top two receivers that should be your that should be making your money play in and play out. I agree. Um, anything else on the Vikings? That was too much Vikings for me. Look, I never need to talk about the Vikings again. OK, let's talk about the Cincy Y, George. Let's do it. I have three stories. Um, I'd like you guys to choose your favorite. Story number one. Um, this is a story from the gym at my apartment, Ooh. which uh, is like not the normal apartment gym. Normal apartment gym is very small. This one like pretty large, so you can get a decent number of people in there. Um, and there is a there is a couple that uh, goes and works out together. And it's a little awkward because, like, it's very clear that the wife works out a lot and she just sort of drags the husband along. But no. (laughs) You really pick up a lot from these. Is this this just from body language or are you listening? Are you pretending to have headphones in your ears and then actually have an off the entire time? George is very meditative when he works out. So I don't wear headphones because uh, I don't want to, like, sweat in them. Mm-hmm. And I like to wear them like you know during the day after I've showered, so I pick up on everything. Okay. And I also think it makes other people feel more uncomfortable because like when you see someone with headphones, you're like, well, I can do whatever the hell I want. But they see me, you know, they know they can't get away with anything. This uh, couple, this is how I knew that um, that she, that he was just being dragged along. So we have this uh, Smith machine, which is basically a barbell that's attached to the racks, so like it's technically safer. So the wife is, she's got a bench and the bench is like, you know, underneath the bar. And instead of like laying back to do a bench press or something, she is bent over on it um, with her like back facing the bar. She then proceeds to kick her leg back with her. So her foot is now pressing up on the barbell. Her husband, I assume husband, um, because I can't imagine you'd be doing this if you weren't like obligated by law is spotting her as she like kicks the barbell back but she can't see what she's doing so she's like continuously like her foot is slipping off the husband is like putting her foot back on the barbell and she is getting mad because he is helping her with this exercise by you know spotting the bar and they can't really see me i'm like on the other side i'm listening to the whole thing <laughs> i'm just trying not to laugh it was you're recording i so i tried <laughs> but it was there wasn't enough people where i could have gotten away with it mm-hmm. it was the most a most awkward exercise i've never seen this ac- exercise before like just squat like you know you're not uh, an Olympic athlete and she the poor guy is like shorter than she is and she's like yelling at him and it was it was very sad. God, that guy's just got a bad bounce in life, it yeah, sounds like. You hate to see it. You do. It's really uh so that's story number one. Hopefully not a listener to the, to the <laughs> <pod>. yeah. 
I think about that sometimes. But here's Maybe the thing. Maybe his wife's a listener. She sounds like could be more likely. I yeah, true. I am always anyone that goes to the gym just to do and just go to sweat. I support that. It's the things like this where it's like, what the what the heck are you doing? That drive me insane. Okay, next story. Uh, this one is uh, we're swimming yesterday, and we have to split lanes because there's a bunch of guys in there, and guy that is in my lane is basically Humpty Dumpty to the point where he's like sailing on his stomach down the lane and he's wearing either fins on his feet or fins on his hands. Fins on his hands, I think it was. He was switching. So he had had them all and he was rotating in and out. So he is just cruising down the lane and just flying past me. Right now, he is taking breaks so it's a little unfair to me who is not taking breaks. But it was very humiliating because I would just see monstrous stomach come zooming by me with fins just – and so I felt a little humiliated. Um, he, was, he was an example of the type of person who does not – who did not enter the water gracefully in any of his moves. So, but here's my – Smacks the Here's water. what I want to say. If you look like Humpty Dumpty, just swim normal. Fins can go away. You don't need fins. Just get in there and swim, buddy. Okay? Now, today – Thought, I thought I had enough stories, but today I witnessed true greatness. I witnessed a boxing, an impromptu boxing lesson in the middle of the Cincy YMCA. Like the locker room or the gym? Impromptu. Yep. So I'm on the rower. There's a nice open space there. A guy that I actually like, I played basketball with, nice guy, uh, is sort of caught up in this conversation with another Y regular, older guy who just sort of walks around the whole time. They start talking about boxing. Next thing I know, they're moving around, ducking and weaving, moving and bobbing. He's talking about his jab. The old guy's like, you know, back in the day, I used to have this move. Let me show it to you. It was 10 minutes of what I can only imagine is what they pay for on Showtime and HBO, or used to be HBO. They don't pay for it on HBO anymore. Uh, so yeah, anytime you can, uh, you can box. I think the show. couples retreat one's my favorite. Yeah, I have to know. So if you had enough money, where you could like make your own private gym and no one was there, would you do this, or or Neil did, or, or do you, or do you enjoy this? You secretly enjoy seeing all this, and every day you'd come here and you'd have no stories and nothing to talk about, and you'd secretly be sneaking back into the Y just so you could get some of this action. Uh, that's I've never thought of that. <laughs> I think as much as I'd like to say no, because I do really just enjoy the getting the workout done component. It is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's the bigger point, though, that I would make, which is I think that you should not have to spend a ton of money to be in great shape. And so it like really frustrates me when people spend inordinate amounts of money when it's like you could just go to the YMCA and get a good workout in. So I think that's what would ultimately keep me going. And I'd say that to the very end that's why i wouldn't build my own home gym right but man, uh, man of principle man of principle when in so, reality so, you're just you're just, just there. like the stories so <laughs> neil, for the drama neil has his own gym and i think like the difference between him and you is totally that he doesn't enjoy watching other people as much as you do yeah that's true that's true it's also the the tough thing is if you have a gym at your home you you so you buy all this equipment right and when it goes like 
you know, say you buy a nice barbell and a squat rack or whatever, and it's like, okay, well, I use it once a day, and then at some point something happens to it. The gym isn't replacing it; you're replacing it. It's like a real hefty investment. No, I agree. I I do. I, yoga mat, much cheaper. Much bigger fan of having the yoga in the house than the whole gym. Yeah, personally, less depreciation there for exactly. sure. Exactly. Um, so couples retreat. What are you going with? Couples retreat as well. Yeah, I'd have to say, I mean, I can envision that one a little bit, a little bit better. So, yeah, I think Perfect. so. I've never even seen this exercise before. Honey, my foot! Stop picking up the bar! Unbelievable. That was my favorite one, too. Um, all right, that's our show. Uh, unfortunately, you will not be back with us next week, but this was a lot of fun. It was. Um, I'm looking forward to the YouTube comments that say the new podcast should be this subset of the group of three. Um, I can't imagine anyone will hate on me. I don't understand that. No way that will happen. Um, hate mail, you know, at PFF underscore Eric. See you guys later. Peace out. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details.